Welcome to the New Masculine Podcast. This is a place where masculine identifying people come together in community to disrupt outdated models of masculinity and together construct new models for our way forward as men. As a special note, while this conversation is between men, this podcast values all beings and seeks to create positive impacts for all. I'm your host, Travis Stock. I am a master life coach, an equus coach, which means I often partner with horses when supporting clients, and I'm a teacher. In my coaching work, I am passionate about the balance of masculine and feminine energies in each of us, regardless of gender. I seek to help others nurture a relationship with both types of energy, which often leads to a greater sense of wholeness. And yet what I found in my work with men is that many of us have been taught messages about what it means to be a man by first teaching us to avoid anything that is associated with the feminine. That avoidance leads to few experiences of intimacy, emotions outside of anger, vulnerability, or even a sense of belonging. Striving to comply with these models of masculinity has many of us feeling isolated, ashamed, unworthy, afraid, angry, and depressed. That's why I started this podcast, to bring men together who are ready for something new, something more whole. Well, welcome everyone. This is a special interview um, and a special episode of the New Masculine Podcast. As many of you have listened to a previous episode, I featured a guest named Gizmo Pickleball, who is an African-American pickleball player, an all-around all great dude who has a, a life journey and a life story that it has some intensity to it, has some failures to it, but it also has uh, so much redemption in it and has so much turning uh, challenges into a positive, becoming a mentor in his, in his new uh, life and a new iteration of itself. The reason why we're doing this special episode is because there were places, I, as I reflect back on our current state that we're in, where there's such racial uh, disparities and racial tension that's going on and conversations about Black Lives Matter, I reflected back on the conversation that Gizmo and I had on our first episode, and I recognized there were places where he alluded to there's more to his story than what he was sharing. There were things I heard him say about, like, that's, that's for another episode, that's for another podcast. And it wasn't until the police video of George Floyd's murder came out and Gizmo started sharing more of his story on his own personal social media. And I really wanted to make sure that that version of the story was told as well, the true story that was there. I think during our first interview, I, I remember trying to be respectful of Gizmo and trying to respect his story and not make him tell stories that he didn't want to tell. But I missed out on the true story that I really wanted to know. In some ways, I stepped out of my own value system of vulnerability, honoring someone's true story due to trying to be nice or trying to be respectful or my best intentions were there. And so I realized I can do better. And so I reached out to Gizmo this week and we talked about what I'm learning and what I'm gathering as a person, as a, as a white person in this world, as a person with privilege. And together we came to the idea that it would be fun to get back together and have another conversation where we talk about the true story, where I get a chance to open up my platform to hear the reality of his story, not just the nice version that uh, we talked about on the podcast initially. So I want to welcome Gizmo back to the podcast and thank him for joining me to have this conversation. No, I definitely uh, appreciate you reaching out and uh, the honor is mine to even uh, to be back to be here to talk about it with you, you know, um, 
like I said before, it's uh, it's not an easy conversation uh, for anyone, but it's uh, a conversation that needs to be had nonetheless. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, you know, kind of just doing a, kind of a deep dive, if you will, um, into some very real um, things that affect at least people in my shoes, you know, um, and I'm honestly excited to hear about it from, from your point of view as well, you know. Uh, so, you know, I think the open dialogue both ways is, is, is the beginning of trying to come up with a, a, a viable solution for the long term. Yeah, I completely agree. And I so appreciate that you're open and willing to do that because um, it does take a lot of as you said, it's not an easy conversation for anybody, and it does take a lot of sort of emotional work and spiritual work and psychological work to be able to show up in these conversations and have an open dialogue where we don't retreat to our corners, where we don't allow our shame, where people like myself don't let our shame take over and shut down the conversation. And so I just really appreciate that you're open and willing to to do this because it's a it's a it, it is a it is a challenging conversation and it is vulnerable for both of us to be. Um, in this space together. I'm really curious to know with everything that's going on in the most recent times um, after George Floyd's murder, as well as the series of ones that we're seeing, the, the different videos we're seeing online of the, the murder in, in, Times, or in um, Central Park that was, the woman was threatening to call the police, then Breonna Taylor, then Ahmaud Arbery. Like we've got so many different things that are coming to our attention that are in our awareness now, but have been going on for so long that haven't been in our awareness and we haven't had to look at many of us. And so I'm just wanting to start out by hearing what's on your heart as this is all happening. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, just being brutally honest, it's, it's nothing new. Um, the one thing is, is, you know, it's, it's being videotaped more and more, you know, as technology gets better and better. Uh, you know, you've got more departments going to uh, police body cams and, you know, uh, they're reviewing those, um, you know, in cases where, where uh, people file. Then you got bystanders who, you know, got video phones and stuff like that. So, you know, um, like that's that's a huge part in starting that right there. But it uh, it's been, you know, it's been going on since I don't even know, know how long. Um, honestly, I don't know that. I will ever live in a society where racism does not exist. Um, I think it's so deeply ingrained and rooted in this country uh, and the building of this country that it's people, you know, some people are saying, oh, well, racism isn't around anymore. It's like, no, it's, it's not as blatant. It's, it's becoming more institutionalized, you know, um, jobs and stuff like that uh you know if you look at the uh, mandatory minimum sentencing guidelines that you know were recently changed uh there's just there's just a lot of different things where the deck is stacked against african americans in this society you know uh, and again not to say that many can and will overcome those but it's it's a lot you know uh, and I think sometimes it's hard for people who aren't directly affected by the issue to either turn a blind eye or be, uh, you know, just not cognizant of it. 
Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, I, it does take work to become cognizant and aware of things that are not in your own personal experience to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and be able to see the inequality that's there. And it, and th that does take work and that does take a level of emotional and mental maturity. And I think we can do that. I think we can get there. It saddens me to hear the, the belief in you that you won't live in a society with that's free of racism. I don't disagree with you. And I don't see that as like a, a hopeless piece of you. I think it's there. It's based in reality and based in real life experiences and what you've seen. And it's also heartbreaking to know that, that that's the truth for you and for many people. Yeah. I mean, like no joke, I could be driving. I don't care what state I'm in, what city I'm in. Anytime I see a police officer get behind me and I'm driving, like, I mean, literally my heart skips a beat and I, I start sweating. I mean, I could be driving to the store with my family. I could be going to play pickleball. I could be driving to the airport to catch a flight. I don't care. My heart just skips a beat, you know? Um, I'm not sure that there's many other races that can share that same sentiment. Um, with valid reasons, you know. Um, again, like you said, it's, you know, Breonna Taylor, Maude Arbery, you know, George Floyd, it's, it's the same narrative over and over and over, you know. And again, it's, it's not to say that all, there's you no, know, there's no good cops, they're all bad, they're all out there, you know, everybody, they hate everybody uh, that's not white, they hate everybody who's black, Hispanic, or, you know, whatever. That's, that, that's the most ignorant, comment that I, I could ever hear somebody say but there are some that say that and it's just like that's that's not helping because you're not spreading facts and it's it's a it's it's crazy man it's it goes both ways you know like i said all black people aren't bad all cops aren't bad um i think the issue is the good cops aren't outing the bad cops. But again, like I said, it goes both ways. The good African-Americans aren't outing the bad African-Americans. Because again, it's, it's got to go both ways. It's, it can't be one-sided. Yeah. I think that's what I am so appreciative of uh, our ability to be in conversation because there is that sort of mutual respect back and forth and willingness to hear each other and with willingness to ask questions. That's something I really value for sure. And I do think that um, it's interesting to see how much we're in, even before this time, we're in a time of social media where we're in a bunch of cancel culture and calling people out and everybody's bad. And yet, it's very easy to go back and forth and say all cops are bad or all it's easy to sort of create categories of all bad or all good. And I do think that it's more nuanced than that. I do think it does require a subtler approach to it that, that, that looks at both sides that looks at the, at what's going on. And I also think personally on the outside of it, I personally think it's okay that it's, a bit more one directional right now, meaning calling out police officers, because I think that they represent an institute and are and hold a place of power that is different than most African Americans do, that is different than most people of color. They hold power because they have a position of authority and they will use that authority. And so in some ways, I do think that they need to be held to a different standard than 
the rest of us do because of the position that they chose to be in. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that, that's another thing that I think a lot of people don't understand. They're, you know, they say, oh, well, cops, they're, they're just normal people and, you know, their jobs are tough and this, that, and the third. And again, I am not taking anything away from that. They've got to make split-second decisions, like life and death decisions. I mean, just, you know, real shit. Like, they, they I, I get it. Hats off to them, you know. Um, but they knowingly take that position so... I almost feel like they have got to be held to a higher standard. I mean, in my eyes, it's like, how can they not be held to a higher standard? Because they're in a power position. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's just got to just be known, you know, just comes with the territory. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm, so like I said, people can't just say all cops are bad. But my question to you is, well, here, let me, let me just look up what the dictionary says the, the meaning of a word is, and I want to get your take on it. Mm. So the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles or moral uprightness, that is what the dictionary says for the, the term of integrity. Now, do you, do you believe that law enforcement officers should be men and women of high integrity absolutely okay so my question to you is if if you are a police officer and you know that there's an another police officer who's not doing what they're supposed to be doing or who's taking advantage of their position or who's insert xyz here and you don't take the necessary precautions what does that say about your integrity yeah well it diminishes your integrity for sure i think we got a really clear example of that with the george floyd murder of the other cops that were standing around watching and not stopping it and rightfully they're being held accountable now there's charges finally filed against the other three about basically being accomplices to the murder absolutely so like if me if me and three of my homies went to some guy's house or just out in the street, picked a random guy out. I put my neck, put my, my knee on this guy's neck and my three homies are just standing there watching, making sure nobody comes up to me. I'm pretty sure the four of us are going downtown immediately yeah. for uh, probably not first degree murder because it's, you know, there's no premeditation, but you know, at least second degree murder, but all, like the four of us aren't leaving the scene. Like, I don't care what our job titles are. I don't care what our families got going on. I don't care if my daughter's got soccer practice. Like all that is out the window yeah. because me and my three buddies just murdered a man. Yeah. And it would be, you'd be taken probably to the police department right there. It wouldn't be a week later that charges would be filed against you. It would be an immediate decision and an immediate assumption of guilt. Even though we Absolutely. live in a society, a society that's innocent until proven guilty, supposedly, it, it doesn't actually work that way in so many people's realities. No, 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 it, it doesn't. Um, and it's so one thing that I, I also want people to understand is, you know, they've been riding now for what, four, three, four or five days, depending on where you're at. Like, I get it. They're burning shit up. They're breaking windows. They're vandalizing stuff. I'm not condoning that. 
at, in no way, shape, or form am I condoning that. But, you know, it's funny, they since, I think yesterday, they just updated the charges and, and went and arrested the other three cops and, you know, up, upgraded their charges and stuff like that. That's, they're being charged. They, they have yet to be convicted, obviously, because, the, you know, the judicial process takes several months, you know, and again, no matter what I think, they are afforded due process. What I think is irrelevant. That, that's their American right to go through trial by peers and, and all that stuff. But in my opinion, they only are doing that because of the protests and they're, they're trying to slow the protests down. But in a few months, when people pull their foot off the gas, it's, I believe it's just gonna go by the wayside and those second degree murder charges are gonna be dropped to, I don't know, manslaughter or you know, aiding and abetting, whatever it is, some BS charges, and they'll do a year, they'll do two years, and then they're back out on the streets. Like, yeah. but me and my three homies, like, oh, we're looking at like multiple life sentences. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's just crazy. And I mean, not even just in this instance, but if you look at crime across the racial divide, take a a white person and take a black person, it is disproportionate, I mean, drastically disproportionate. You know, I, I spoke previously about the mandatory minimums. You know, up until a couple of years ago, it was a 10 to 1 disparagement. You know, cocaine is generally labeled as like a white person drug, where especially back in the late 80s, the crack epidemic is crack is more of like a black and brown drug. You would get the same uh, time for having. One gram of crack, it was a 10 to one. So one gram of crack was the same as 10 grams of cocaine. Like, it's the same drug. It's the same drug, yeah. One's just, you know, like, like but, but because white people are, were, are more prone to do cocaine versus smoking crack, like, that's, that, that's, that's, how can you justify that? It's the same drug. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think I think it's that's why it's so important for stories like yours to be told and for you to sh- continue voicing that sort of fear that it will go back to normal because that fear is based in lots of experiences over time where it's like people might get outraged, there might be rioting, there might be protesting about something for a little bit and then people get fatigued and then the message gets lost and then the system takes back over that has that sort of inherent racial 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 disparity within it and then that system takes over and then gives cops like that a lot more gentler approach to it and they've got unions to back them and they've got whole uh sections of the other the actual police department and and uh, buddies of theirs to sort of protect them and shield them from the real life consequences of those decisions that you wouldn't be shielded from if you were in the same position. Right. So, you know, I, I talk back to integrity. Like, imagine you're now their lawyer. You know that those four men are guilty of murder. How do you stand there and go to bat for those men to try to get them off or get their charges lessened? What does that say about your, your morality and your integrity? It's not a position I would put myself in, that's for sure, especially with that videotape. No way. (laughs) You know, the only thing you can say is, Your Honor, my my client is sorry. But I mean, like, literally, anything that you come out of your mouth and say is an automatic lie. And in this case, 
it's strictly because there's video evidence. But imagine how many times there isn't video evidence. And as he say, she say, in the, the jacked up system, in this, and in this instance, it goes against people of all color, but you know what, you know, the judge knows the lawyer, the lawyer's gonna do a favor, the lawyer knows another lawyer, They're, hey look, you know, you give me this one, I'll get you one on the next one. Like, the reality is like, yo, that's, this is how that happens. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's that's real. <laughs> and you mentioned that so many times this happens when there's not a camera on, whether it's not being videotaped. I'm wondering if you're up for sharing because part of the reason why this conversation we initiated this conversation was to start to talk again about what your true story is and what are some of your experiences of it are. And so I'm curious to know yeah. if you're willing to share either the stories that you started to share on your social media around the fire department, or if there's other stories you want to share about your own personal experiences that weren't caught on videotape that don't have proof to them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, so I'll, I'll just start with this. A reason that people usually don't share about injustices uh, or wrongdoings against themselves is because when they do, people immediately come out against them and try to discredit them and try to slander them and try to make them feel bad like they shouldn't have. Uh, and like, you are the problem. Like if, you, if you're doing that, if somebody's speaking out against an injustice and you're, you're trying to lessen their, their voice, you are 100% the problem. Um, so I was, I volunteered in the fire department for about 10 years. Um, never had any, any issues with race. I mean, people of all different color, you know, work together and night in and night out. Uh, so I put myself through paramedic school and uh, I applied to a department in uh, Manassas City, Virginia. Well, I, I got hired, you know, uh, which was, was great. You know, that's, that's every volunteer fireman or woman's dream is to get picked up by a career department. So, you know, Manassas has always been known as a good old boy town, if you will. You know, um, there's people who, I mean, it's nothing to see a rebel flag flying on the back of a truck, riding down, you know, it's, it's, it's a very small city. It's only about 14 square miles. Uh, but, you know, I'm, went through the recruit academy and all that stuff. So that, that was good. Now, when I got hired, let's see, the department went career in 1958. That's when they first started hiring career personnel. So there was one African-American that worked there, uh, and he's now a captain, uh, Captain Dave Hallman. He's been there for a while. I want to say like since 2008 maybe, but um, he's, you know, he's been there a few years. Um, there was another African-American that had come and left, but by the time that I got hired, since 1958, and I believe I got hired in like 2016, I was only the third African-American to be hired by that department. And I mean, it's just like, you know, you can't tell me that there's only three black people who were able to pass your test and make it through the academy since 1958. Yeah, what year did you get hired? What year did you say? Uh, uh, 2016. 
<laughs> there has to be a plenty more. <laughs> At least one or two more. I mean, uh, come on. Uh, so, you know, I'm like, whatever. I'm, you know, I'm going to try to be the change, you know. Again, I'm not just going to bitch about an issue and not try to be part of the, the change. So, you know. People are always like, well, why don't you why don't you go to apply to the fire department or why don't you go apply to the police department if you're so you know upset with how things are going? So I'm like, you know what? I'll do that. So I get in and everything's cool. And uh, on my night of the night that I graduated, they presented us to City Hall. And again, I don't have a background in politics, so let's let's keep that in mind. Now, there's a gentleman by the name of Jeremy McPike. He's now uh, on the Virginia Senate. You know, uh, again, he's, he's political, he, that's his thing. But he was also a volunteer firefighter with me for 10 years um, at my previous department. So during my swearing in ceremony for the city of Manassas, you know, he comes to City Hall to, you know, watch my swearing in. And after I get sworn in, he comes up and takes a picture with me. You know, I posted on my social media, media and stuff like that. Well, what I didn't know is that Jeremy was running against the city of Manassas mayor for a seat on the Senate. Well, that, that don't look too good. The city that just hired you, you're up here taking pictures with his, the guy that he's going to battle against. And it's just like, again, I, I literally have not one political bone in my body. I know nothing about politics. Like, I'm, this guy just came to support me because I've known him for 10 years and he's proud of, you know, my achievement and stuff like that. But the city didn't like that, you know, but I don't think anything of it because again, it's, it's none of my business. Y'all are running against each other. <laughs> so, you know, you start to notice little stuff. And I want to say that there was around another time where another unarmed black man got killed. I'm, I, I'm unsure of which one at this time, but you know, there's a lot of Facebook groups where, people are are advocating for the outing of bad cops you know so I've, i joined a couple facebook groups i'm not i'm not in there like posting kill them all or you know all cops are bad or anything like that because again i can't say that because i work day by day and day out side by side with cops and i would lay my life on the line for them why because i know they're good cops or I haven't physically seen them do anything bad. But again, that doesn't mean that I don't want the bad ones outed, you know? Uh, so I get called into, into, the, into an office to, to meet with a battalion chief and a captain. So battalion chief Todd Lupton uh, and, and captain Joe Rose, they sit me down and they say, you know, it's been brought to our attention that uh, you're part of these groups on your social media. That does not look good for our department. Uh, you know, we support cops here, and I'm just like, well, I'm not, I'm not downing cops. I'm not, you know, ridiculing cops. I'm call, basically advocating for the calling out of the bad cops. And they say no. That's, that's unacceptable. Uh, so, you know, we've got this paperwork. I'm gonna need you to sign it saying that 
you're not they're basically saying that you're going to leave these Facebook groups. So basically, they don't want me speaking out against police injustice. How does that work? But I, I, I literally have no choice because in Virginia, it's a right to work state. So they don't even have to have a, a reason to fire me. So it's pretty much do as I say, and if you don't, we're going to get rid of you. I mean, I, I, I didn't know what to do, you know? Well, I mean, what, what would you have done? Yeah, I'm just trying to actually sit there and put myself in that position because it's so clear that in so in in so quick and easy of a way, your voice is censored and power dynamics are pushed on top of you as a way of just even censoring your right to believe what you believe and to connect with people who believe a, a similar thing because of the way it might look to somebody. That's it's a lot. Yeah, I don't. The, the the brave part of me that's not in the middle of the situation and that thinks that like that coming from my background in social work, I would probably try to stand up and say, no, I'm not willing to do that. And yet I know the other part of me that is a deep rule follower and uh, can bend to pressure because of the threat to my well-being, my livelihood, my ability to provide for myself, my career. I can absolutely see myself in the same position, making a decision that is against my value systems and what I believe and what I ideally would do, because in that moment, it's a lot messier and a lot more emotionally driven and actually survival. It's like in that moment, you choose survival over your idealism. I mean, I, I, got, a fa I got a family to feed, like, you know, I, yeah. Yeah, yes, Jade, you're going to sit here, shut up, you're going to sign this paper, and you're going to leave those groups. Why? Because you want to keep putting food on your table. Yeah. So I'm forced to go against my moral beliefs and principles at this point, you know? So, okay, so, like, this is all the battalion chief saying this. Now, he's got the captain sitting beside him, Joe Rose, who, again, I'm not saying that, you know, the captain wrote it up or they, you know, I don't know. But if, if you're the captain and you're sitting here watching this injustice happen and you don't speak up, what does that, what does that, what does that say about you? Does, does that, does that mean you are as guilty as committing the injustice as the one who committed it because you did not speak up or are you stuck and forced to compromise your moral beliefs for the same sake that I was to continue providing for your family? Yeah. Yeah. I can see it both ways where in some ways they're just as complicit and guilty and in other ways, they're bending to the same pressure that you feel and the same power dynamics that you feel. Yeah, that's a hard question to answer. It, it doesn't, it's not as clear cut and clean as right and wrong, black and white. It's definitely in the gray area. Yeah, yeah, it, uh, it, it sucked. Like, so, I mean, again, I, like I had to sign the paper. Um, it, I, I lost sleep over it. You know, I mean, I literally like, Damned if you do, damned if you don't. And even if you do, you know you're still on the damn radar. Mm. 
and again, this is all after the whole initial swearing in ceremony with the picture of the the guy who's going against the, the mayor. Like it's so it's just like more and more and more. You know, eyes are on you at that point. You're being scrutinized even more already. For, for any and every little thing. Um, and, you know, it's tough. So as a new paramedic, you get a preceptor, you know, basically to make sure, ensure your skills and stuff like that. You know, I was a new medic. Again, I'm a fast learner. Like, I'm not, excuse my language, but I'm not a fucking idiot. Mm. I, I pick up processes very fast, you know. Um, so I would go through, you know, a few weeks with one preceptor and they would change my preceptor to a different preceptor. So now I've started acclimating to, you know, writing reports, you know, rendering treatment the way that my first preceptor would like. Now I'm on a second preceptor and it's completely different from my first preceptor. So now I'm having to backtrack, forget everything that I learned on my first one to now start learning the way that my second one wants to do it. Because if you don't pass, if you don't get, you know, passing scores from your preceptor, um, you won't pass your internship and you can end up losing your job. So on my internship, I mean, I think it was maybe six months. I went through three or four preceptors. Yeah, like I've already passed my Virginia State boards, paramedic boards and all that stuff. So like, again, I've worked in the ER for four years. I'm not an idiot. You can't tell me that there's not reason that I was passed from four preceptors. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's like a setup of failure. It's it just ain't right. It's there's there's something not right about that. What do you think was the reason why you kept getting new preceptors? Did you do you know for sure, or do you have any thoughts about why that was happening? Well, I've got thoughts, uh, and and since I made my original post, um, the captain's wife um, actually messaged me privately again not publicly because my thing is if you're going to show support for me privately i need you to show that same support for me publicly and this is i'm gonna guess is not a person this is not a person of color this is not a black person no she is not black uh uh and uh, so her husband joe rose is not black either um so she originally messaged me basically why did I call her husband racist? He's not racist. Do I think uh, do I think that she would ever marry a racist? And this, that, and the third. And I'm just like, like you're you're making it about you. This has nothing to do with you. I never called your husband a racist. But again, if your husband is sitting in the room and physically the only person that sees the injustice happening and chooses not to speak up for whatever the reason is, is he just as guilty as the person committing the injustice? I mean, that's my question. Mm. In my eyes, yes. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, and her questioning you in return is a, is a form of gaslighting. It's a form of making you the problem for calling out what happened rather than acknowledging that a problem happened. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, you know, I understand your hatred for the city of Manassas and Chief Lupton, but calling my husband racist is hurtful. Joe can be a lot of things, but racist isn't one. He'd get the shirt off his back for you. You know, again, 
I get that. I, I'm not discrediting that. But I went through an injustice and he was there and he chose not to speak up for me. Am I supposed to just be like, oh no, you know what? He's still a good dude. No, you're not. In my eyes, you're not. Because you didn't. Because if I would have been in the opposite position where you were, I don't care what the injustice was. Like, I'm going to speak up for that. You know why? Because I have integrity. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And that's what it boils down to. And it's funny because integrity is one of the things that's pushed so hardcore in the fire department. I mean, we have to take polygraph tests before we're hired. But what does that speak about your integrity? Yeah. Yeah. And even if in, even if in the moment you're unable to gather yourself enough to stand in your integrity, what you do owe is in the aftermath once you recognize. Do you know if he has ever recognized the challenges that were there or the problems that happened for you? I mean, aside from the one time where he was in the office with me, I don't know. I've got no idea, you know. But, you know, again, his wife has gone on to message me, me more stuff, basically saying that it ate him up to sit there and not say anything. So he realizes that something happened there. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling to find the... Uh, oh, and then she messaged me back saying that because I called him out and put his name out there that she fears for her, her, her husband's life at work because he's, you know, he's still a fireman. And, and I'm just like, wait, what? Hmm. I, I don't I don't get it. Um, oh, so then she she says, uh, if you think Joe was the reason you, that you got fired, it's completely false. Um, if you want to point a finger, point it at all of the preceptors that gave you low scores on your internship and evals for your medic. I gave you all threes and above, which is the only way to move forward. I batted for you and told people you just needed more time being a new medic. I said, it pisses me off that a higher up in your department would even message me and have the balls to say that the majority of people in the department don't have a racist bone in their body. That tells me they're knowingly working beside people who are racist. It says a lot about their integrity. Because again, in addition to her, I also had a captain battalion chief message me and say just that. Hmm. I can vouch that the majority of the people in this department don't have a racist bone in their body. So again, you're telling me that you're morally okay with working side by side of people who you know have a racist bone in their body because if they if you weren't, you would have specifically said, I know that nobody has a racist bone in their body, not the majority. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually one of the things I don't necessarily know that mine is at the level of some of these, but some of the, one of the things I'm learning about this process too is this concept of my best intentions or people's best intentions or being well-intentioned in situations is sometimes just not enough. You can't be just best, oh, I had the best intentions even though I didn't do enough. And that's why I really wanted to re-engage with you in, a, in another conversation was because I had good intentions in our first interview and, and had the best of intentions when I came through, but I recognized that it wasn't enough. And, and that was me recognizing where I had betrayed my own integrity, betrayed my own value system, and wanted to come back and acknowledge that and say, oh, I screwed that up. I didn't, I didn't see it then, but I can see now where I wasn't in my integrity. And now let's, let's 
step back into integrity and have another conversation from that place. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we, we keep saying the word integrity, and I feel like that's the, like just the key word. I feel like that sets the tone for everything, you know? Um, like, you can't say you've got high integrity if you can sit, stand beside an injustice and not speak up for it. You know, like, yeah. I understand, like, I, I get it. If you speak up, you may potentially lose your job, may not provide for your family. Like, like that sucks. But how can you say you got integrity if you're willing to do that? Yeah. Yeah, and it, it sounds like you had shared with me that um, in the messages you received from his wife that she acknowledged that it it was it ate him up after that situation and that changes were made after that and that things benefited after that. And yet you never got that acknowledgement. You never had somebody reach out to you to say, wow, I screwed that up. I messed that up. I didn't stand in my integrity in that moment and I want to do better and here's how I'm doing better. It seems like at least yeah. you deserve that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it, it did. I mean, it was just, it's just wild, you know. Um, it's, I said, I never, I said, I never said Joe was the reason I was fired. He was there on both occasions and chose not to speak up. He knew it was wrong. And if it ate him up, you know, like, it's, it's just crazy. I said, well, I'm glad that it just ate him up and he was still able to, you know, get a paycheck while I wasn't. All I got was just being screwed over. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do that. It's 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 just not enough to feel bad about something. You have to step into action. Yeah, so you know, again, actionable steps. Like yeah. that's especially in like a time like right now, that's that's a must. You know, anybody can talk the talk, but actually walking the walk is is what's required. Yeah. You know. On, on so many levels. I'm curious to know, do you have any thoughts on what, is, what are actual helpful, actionable steps that people like myself can be taking that are not directly impacted by the experiences of racism and inequality in that way? What are helpful ways we can participate? Because I think there's a lot of information out there that is, is do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And it's hard to sort of sort through and weed through um, what is and isn't helpful and appropriate. And from your perspective, I'm wondering, do you have any thoughts on what is helpful right now? Yeah. Um, when people of any color tell you about an injustice that's happening to them, don't discredit them. Don't be so quick to shut them down, you know, say, oh, suck it up. Or, you know, why are you talking about that? Just saying third, like, if that's how they feel or if that's what they went through, like, I mean, support them, embrace them, you know, stand by them. Um, you know, uh, the first, one of the biggest first steps is just acknowledging that there is an issue. Um, not saying that you're responsible for the issue, but just that there is an issue. Um, you know, the, the peaceful protests, again, that's one of our American rights. If, if, you know, there's one going on near you, go, go stand in solidarity. You know, again, my personal belief is I would do it during the daytime. Those have been the majority of the peaceful ones at night. You know, you get the riffraff that's going to come in and, and, and do the dumb shit. You know, again, the, the looters, like, get out of here. You know, you, there's people, conspiracy theorists, oh, they're dropping 
bricks off their Antifa. It's like, I, I don't care. Like, that's all irrelevant. That's, that's not, it's, it's not factually helping towards the solution. You it's know? a distraction. Um, you know, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the smoke and mirrors. Again, could it be true? Absolutely. Could it be false? Absolutely. I don't got the time to sit there and try to figure it out. But what I can do is, you know, like last night we were on a call to action Zoom, like 20 people talking about the same thing. What can people do? You know, um, so I work for the fire department. And one thing people always ask us to come to uh, their kid's birthday party and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Again, call the fire department in your local neighborhood. You know, if you're having like a community day, a community outing, you know, get to know your firefighters like Call up the station, tell them, you're, you know, that your neighborhood's throwing some stuff on the grill, some kids' activities. They'll bring the fire truck out. They'll bring the ambulance out. Again, you get to rub shoulders with them. You get to get to know them. You get to open a rapport. Like, you, you know, that's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, like, a lot of people ain't going to want to hear this. The same thing with the cops. Because remember, mm-hmm. all, bad, all cops aren't bad, you know. Have them out. Invite them out. You know, a lot of cops, there's, there's tons of videos on YouTube where, like, cops are like, racing the teenagers, like they're, you know, shooting basketball with them. Like, like that's what it's about. Yeah. Not the only time that you need to, cause I mean, in the black community for sure, it's always, yo, don't call, don't talk to the police. Don't call the police, period. No, that's wrong. That is wrong. You are a fool if you sit there and you believe that, or you're doing something wrong where you don't want the police call. That's something different. But, you know, we, uh, just like we want them to embrace us, we have to embrace them. Because remember, it goes both ways. Yeah, I think the most beautiful moments that are actually coming out of this are when mutual respect is shown, where uh, protesters push out people who are throwing water bottles and things at police officers, and where police officers call out and don't allow physical violence towards the protesters that are there peacefully. I think it is those mutual signs of respect that are the glimmers of hope where we actually can create change to the system. And I'm right there with you. It was really heartening to hear last night. I was sharing with you uh, before we started this recording that in Seattle, there's been protests going on. And I started reading some articles that were starting to um, be upset about the fact that the, the message was changing. It was no longer about Black Lives Matter. It was just about protesting police and saying police are bad and police are bad and police are bad. And last night, my partner and I woke up at like 12, 12.30 in the morning to the Black Lives Matter pl- protests coming up our street, making lots of noise, being loud, but it was so peaceful. It was so celebratory in many ways. It wasn't this place of it didn't feel like pain walking down the street and violence walking down the street. It felt like celebration and bravery. And it was, it just felt really amazing. It's like most of the time I'd be really upset to be waking up in the middle of the night by city noises, but it felt really cool to be able to hear the chanting and hear the solidarity that people were expressing last night. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I live in the country, so I doubt I'll be hearing any, uh, any protesting (laughs) out here. Just, your, just, just the turkeys uh, on your farm protesting. <laughs> just, just the turkeys. Yeah, 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 for sure, man. No, but it's cool, man. You know, the protesting is, is, is you know, it's people's rights. Absolutely. You know, uh, the looting, like I said, I, I can't condone that. You know, people are like, oh, well, Martin Luther King was peaceful, but like, they think there's someone, I saw something earlier, said it was like 381 days where they, 
you know, stop riding buses. They stopped supporting businesses. They stopped doing, you know, like before something was signed in, you know, into law. And it's just like, yo, we're on day six. Like, mm. I don't think y'all understand. Like, there's people that they're trying to burn the city down, you know, for change. And I mean, the protesting, I believe that's a start. The rioting, absolutely not. You know, uh, another huge thing and really the only way that we're going to win is to and a lot of people won't want to hear it is hit the polls you know educate yourself about voting uh and mm-hmm. i'm one at completely at fault uh apparently there were elections yesterday couldn't tell you what it, what the elections were for uh that's unacceptable you know mm-hmm. that is absolutely unacceptable um because it's not just the presidential election that matters it's right. you know you know I, I recently learned that the president didn't even draft up the laws that he only signs yes or no to what comes across his desk from, from you know congress and stuff like that so it's like you know those are truly the really important elections but again the education at least in the african-american community is not there for sure right yeah because it is the down ballot there's so much power in the down ballot uh voting which is um not just the presidential election, but it is all the Senate and the House, but then also the state and local governments that you act that most people actually interact with more frequently than the national government, the federal government, those local ones and the state ones that are making decisions for your life and actually could create impact in your life. Those are so important to vote for. And yet they don't get the same uh, education and publicity to make sure people are out to vote. So I'm glad to hear you say to notice in yourself place where you failed to step up and meet that moment and are and are are committed to re-educating yourself even further around that because I do think it's so important because our current administration that is using tactics that is dividing us that is putting us in this position that we're in is only allowed to do that because of the people around him that empower him to do so or don't say anything when he they're complicit just like this conversation we've been having about integrity it's a lot of people not standing in their integrity to get what they want and to get their uh their what they want uh taken care of and voted for but without standing in integrity on their things that are just right and wrong and you have to call out the wrong stuff and you have to limit the power of somebody who's trying to divide us and take power from people and trying to keep institutionalized racism present in our world. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, like I said, no matter what industry you're in, I mean, there's people who don't believe in something, but they're going along with it for a paycheck. Yeah. They're going along with it. So they because so that they're not looked at as different or you know going against the grain or for whatever reason uh and i i honestly i just got to the point where i could not do that like i I will never work for another person corporation job ever again in my life i'm 33 years old i've i've made that vow because Mm -hmm. for me that means that i don't have to compromise my morals my beliefs uh what I say goes, period. And I know that, you know, I only operate on two things, morals and principles. And I feel like if I operate on those two things, I'm going to be in the realm of a decent person, yeah. period. Yeah. I'm really wanting to also hear from you around, you are in an interracial marriage. Is that true? Your wife is black? Or yeah. Is, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have two children, is that correct? 
Correct. So they're interracial children. And so what is it like being a black man in an interracial family right now? How is it impacting your relationship with your wife? How is it impacting being a father to two children that are African-American? So she gets it. She, she, my wife, she, I mean, she gets it. She understands. She's, I mean, in solidarity, you know, not, not, not saying anything, you know, she's, she's being vocal about, you know, standing up against injustices, uh, you know, so, so she's, she, she understands it. Uh, you know, my two kids are seven and nine. Um, and I have, well, we don't even have cable, but I have not found the words to, to be able to dumb it down enough to where my seven and nine year old can comprehend the vastness of what we are faced with um in this current state of affairs i mean my daughter's she's nine um and my son is seven so but it, it sucks because i know it's not something that i can put off and i know it's something that absolutely has to be talked about um and for me i came from a single parent background where it wasn't talked about with me i just got it first eye view when the streets swallowed me whole of what it looked like. So I didn't, nobody greased the wheel for me to kind of prep me for it. So I, maybe that's why I'm having trouble finding the words or the, you know, the correlations to be able to get my kids to, to grasp the concept. Um, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I wait a few years. I have no, I have no idea. I, I truly do not have the answer. Yeah. Do you have you have your children and you have you observed them experiencing just, uh, challenges with racism or being treated differently because of who they are? No, nah, no, nah, I, I probably would have been locked up. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like seriously, like, like I like I don't like people play with me, but I'll be damned if if, if people play with my kids, let alone kids at all. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, let I'm a firm believer in let a kid be a kid, be mm -hmm. long as long as they can. Um, so yeah, I mean, honestly, had, had I, have I, had I have seen any racial injustices against my kids, like I, or any kid, I, I would, I absolutely will not be quiet on it. So I, I probably would have been locked up on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's part of your integrity that you've been talking about this whole time about you can't stand by and watch something, especially when it's your own children, um, impacted by it. Do you have fears for your children, um, growing up in this world? I do, I do. Uh, again, my daughter, I won't say not so much, but I will say not as much as my son. Um, but again, I, I, I don't know what words I could even fathom to my son that he would understand the severity of it or be more prepared. I mean, like, yes, I could say, you know, if you get pulled over, you know, hands on the steering wheel, 10 and 2, like, take the keys out of the car, yes sir, no sir, like, don't reach for anything, like, how do you explain that to a seven-year-old kid who just mm -hmm. wants to go jump on a trampoline, that just wants to, you know, go, go fishing in the pond with a bobber and a worm, that wants to build Legos, that doesn't know what hate is, that doesn't mm -hmm. know that people are different color, or that it, it means anything substantial i mean like i don't i don't want to 
taint that for him. I don't want to ruin that for him. But it's 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 the harsh reality that no, they're 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 the world that we live in. If if you don't teach him that, the world will. Yeah. Um. That's so, so I mean, true. I struggle with that. I struggle with it. Yeah, I imagine. I, I love the the care that you take with your children around wanting to protect their innocence and wanting to let them be free from the suffering that is a part of the world for a long time. But I do also think there's a balance to that. And I think that you're right in saying, if you don't educate them, then the world will start to educate them and the world will be a lot harsher and a lot more unfair about it. And I think something you pointed out around you have less fears about your daughter than your son, I think is especially why I wanted to have this conversation on the New Masculine podcast, because there is a discrepancy even in the gender of who is mostly targeted and impacted by this. And I think that all of the stories that you've shared were, for the most part, were men perpetrating this institutionalized racism or differences in what opportunities are available and your son is more likely to be impacted by it than your daughter is and so I think it's important for us to look at where does our current ideals of masculinity and how power is held within masculinity how it continues to perpetuate these kinds of things that isn't to say that there aren't plenty of, of white women that have racism issues. It's not, it's not to say that there's not, it's not a systemic issue that crosses all barriers, but it is to acknowledge that this is an important element of it where there is a hoarding of power that happens within masculinity and a dominance kind of thing that is inherent to the way we interact with each other as men. And it only becomes worse when you add the, the intersectionality of race to it as well or different sexual, identi sexual identities or gender identities, when you add another layer to it, that power differential becomes even more and it becomes even more challenging to undo that because those in power don't want it to be undone. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I, that, that last thing you just said is huge. You know, those are in power don't want it to be undone. Um, you know, and I, I worked for the fire department one time and a captain, uh, the, the, my battalion chief said, I want you to start challenging the captain. And, and like, I tried to explain to him, like, yo, he's the captain. Like nobody in power wants to be questioned, like period. And he's like, oh, well, no, I'm trying, I'm trying to help mold him this, that, and the third. And it's just like, so you're using me to help mold him by challenging him. But every time I challenge him, I get snapped on. It's just like, yeah. you, he really didn't understand that concept of people in power don't want to be questioned. Like, yeah. And why, wasn't, why didn't he take it on hit on as his responsibility to challenge him? If he's trying to mold him, why is he using you as the tool for molding him? Why can't he do that himself? Cause he, you know, he wants to help him with his personal skills and his, what, yeah. Insert whatever excuse you want here. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's why it's important for people like myself to be having a conversation with you. I so appreciate that you're helping to inform me, help me learn, but also help my audience learn and the people that follow my platform to learn. That is above and beyond what should be expected of you. It's not your job to educate us and teach us and to mold us and to challenge our behaviors. 
And I so appreciate that you are willing to step forward and do so. And then now I take it on as my responsibility to continue using my platform to push there too, and to not rely on you or somebody else like you to do that work for us. Um, because it's, it's, it's not your responsibility. Well, it's not my fault, but it is my responsibility. And that's how I look at it. Yeah. Because if, if I don't, then I have no other choice but to say that I'm passing the buck because then I'm at that point leaving it up to somebody else to do that. And if they don't, then I have to look at myself as I'm part of the, 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 the issue because I let that opportunity pass me by without saying something or, you know, uh, just like you said, the first conversation, you know, that opportunity, it came and went and you felt a certain kind of way, like same exact thing. Like it, it literally, goes both ways you know i keep saying the same it goes both ways yeah i hear that and i respect that actually a lot and i appreciate the responsibility you hold in that and i also want to make sure that i'm challenging the people that are like me to not rely on people like you to do the majority of the labor to do to continue doing the heavy lifting for everyone it is our responsibility to have a mutual exchange and have mutual respect but there is more work on my side of the aisle than there is on your side of the aisle to be done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's funny you say like, you know, people are mad because they're saying black lives matter and people are like, all lives matter. It's just like, calm down, Karen. We know that all lives matter. It's just like, <laughs> you know, if, if there's 10 houses in a neighborhood and one house is on fire, it's just like, Karen, we're not going to spray your house right now. Like we, mm. we trust me. We don't want your house to burn down, but this one house right here, right now, like there's fire coming through the roof, like they're dumping babies out the window. Like Karen, we like trust me, we we got you. Mm -hmm. But Black Lives Matter, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's not saying that we're saying Black Lives Matter that white lives don't matter. Like that's again, that's just an ignorant statement. But like you said, we all have just got to do better. Yeah. Well, and I, th I actually think that that desire to push back and say that all lives matter and to push back on the fact that we're focusing on a, a problematic area right now and an issue that is really prevalent and needs to shift right now. I think that's part of that con that thing I was saying about people in power don't want to have to lose power and they don't want to have to confront it and they don't want it to be in their face. And so it's simpler and it's easier to go into the place of, well, all lives matter. It's taking a neutral standpoint that actually isn't willing to witness and observe the pain that's in front of someone. And so I think that's so, I'm, I don't have any time for that or any space for that in my life when people say that all lives matter. And I think it's funny, I've seen the meme of that metaphor that you're talking about, about the house on fire. And it comes even, it has so much more weight and impact coming from you as an ex-firefighter. It means so much more. Because it's real. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not just a story it's that like, tells hey, them. Yeah, it's like, hey, Karen, I swear to God, if, if the, the moment your house catches on fire, like, we're pulling resources to start hosing you down. Like, I promise you. <laughs> but we need all hoses on deck right here, right now. Yeah, totally. Um, you had talked about that you were on a Zoom call last night with a, a, some sort of call to action. Is that something that could be made available to people that are listening to this? That could, they could listen to that as well if they wanted more information? 
Yeah, so a, a buddy of mine out in California, uh, Lee West, he uh, he just he started a, just a call to action, open floor dialogue um, where everybody's voice was heard. I mean, literally, it was you know, last night was the first one, but he says he does want to do more. And you know, the thing that I really really enjoyed is one, everybody was transparent. Two. Everybody who, who cited an issue, they also cited potential resolutions, mm. you know, so it's not just bitching about, oh, well, the police are whooping our ass and, you know, they're killing us. No, no, no. Like, again, you know, the, 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 the establishing the rapport with the police officers, the getting, in, you know, like all those ideas were, were drummed up last night, you know, and shared with different people all across the United States. Um, and, and like I said, every single body on the call's voice was heard, whether it was them, you know, responding to something somebody said, or if they had an idea, you know, and, and the host literally went down the list and asked everybody if they've got anything, because it's, it doesn't just matter what black people say, you know, if, if people who aren't black have good solutions to fix the problem, their voice needs to be heard too. I mean, Really, the only people voice who don't matter in this time is racist. I don't care what color you, <laughs> you are, and that's just period, you know. Yeah. But everybody who's not racist, absolutely, their voice needs to be heard, and they need to band together um, to, to try to fix it. So I don't have any more details on that one, but, I mean, I will be sharing them uh, periodically when I get on them. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that, that, that's the type of stuff that needs to, to continue taking place for us to try to get things better in this world, crazy world we live for sure. Yeah. And if you, if you get a recording of that and you want to share that to your social media, I'd be happy to, to also boost it out on the mine as well so that people can watch that. I think that that's something that I think so many people are trying to figure out is what is the next actionable step? And I don't know that it always feels easy or uh, clear what the next actionable step is. And if we, and if the, if we can crowdsource that and have other people sharing their ideas of what's, what's an actionable step people can take, I think that's going to help things so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it, uh, it you know, like I said, I, I don't think that I'm going to be alive to see, you know, racism completely gone, but you know, it starts with me and it starts by me just trying to positively affect anybody that I come into contact with. I mean, cause love is going to always win. I mean, it, it, it sounds cliche and it's just like, Oh, well, how I'm just living on faith. It's, it's just gotta work. It's, that's just it. You know, cause again, I don't want to consume myself with the negativity and uh, you know, it's, we know it exists, but I just want to try to focus my resources on, um, exemplifying the positive stuff that we can do yeah i think it's only i think that phrase of love always wins is only cliche when you don't actually live it and i think you're you live it in the example of who you are in the mentorship that you do in the desire to spread love in the desire to increase people's ability to be who they actually are not to have to fit a mold to fit in i think you do some of that so well and so it doesn't sound cliche coming from you because you live it and you show it and you embody it all the time. And I, I see that out there in the world as you continue showing up, as you continue participating in all of these dialogues. So I just really appreciate the man that you are. And I appreciate the learning that I get to have um, in relationship with you 
and that you show up in the conversation and hear me and, and validate the, the actions that I'm taking as well so that I feel more inclined to continue moving forward and to continue using my platform to, to help create some change. For sure. For sure. No, no. Um, I mean, just one last thing I just wanted to say is, oh, like I said, I, I didn't understand the importance of the voting and, you know, like I said, different elections and stuff like that. Um, there is an artist who I've recently found out about who has a song where it's called My Vote Don't Count. But it, if it, if, golly, if it ain't the best song I've ever heard in my life, uh, it's, it's by Yellow Pain. Uh, I think it's Yellow P-A-I-N. And it's called My Vote Don't Count. It breaks down the importance of who to, like, when to vote, you know, not just voting for the president, you know, who is responsible for what to get to the president. And I mean, he just puts it together so, so well. So I'm, I will be sharing that that song on my platform or that video uh, in, in the coming days. But that, literally that that love and, and voting is, in my opinion, the only thing that's going to change what's going on right here, right now in America. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up. I'll make sure that's in the show notes so that people can find that really easily um, so they can look that up and listen and watch that as well. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add as we're closing this? No, man, I, you know, like I said, just, just, just as much as you appreciate the open conversation, I mean, I do too. Um, yeah, these conversations aren't comfortable, um, but they have to be had, you know. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if we're going to get anywhere together uh, in this crazy, crazy world we live in. Yeah, I agree. And I appreciate the grace you've given me as we continue having more open conversations and continue diving into what's real. I think that uh, something I'd like to close with is just sharing a little about what I learned in this process. And I, I, it, has, it comes down to this concept of being well-intentioned. Our intentions do matter. So my intention behind about being respectful of you and not wanting to sort of objectify your blackness in our first conversation, that is real and true and is important, but it's not enough and I can do better. And I sort of challenge the people in my life that are listening to this, the people that listen to this podcast, if you think you're well-intentioned, that's fantastic. That's good. That matters. And you can do more. It's not enough to just be well-intentioned. Your actions have to match the intentions. And I hope that in our ability to have this conversation, it demonstrates that it's not perfection that's expected. I wasn't perfect the first time we had that conversation. And I noticed the place where I stepped out of my value systems and integrity and decided to do better. And I asked if we could do better together. And that's the, that's the actionable steps we all need to be taking, recognizing the places where we didn't quite see it at the time, but we then do see it, and then taking action from what we learned from that. So I hope the people in my life will be doing the same to step beyond just their best intentions to actually move into actionable steps that help create change. And if you're somebody that's listening to this podcast and following, and if you're somebody that is willing to post on social media, hashtag Black Lives Matters or follow the uh, Black Lives Matter on Instagram, or you're willing to do those sort of uh, demonstrations of being anti-racist and being part of this movement. That's also not just, that's just not enough. You have to do more. You have to take actions. And I think what you were saying about voting is so important. If you're somebody that 
continues to vote for the current administration and the people that support him, then you're not, you don't actually believe Black Lives Matter because you're not listening and you're not paying attention to what's happening. And it's not just the president, it's all of the people that support him and that allow him to do these kinds of behaviors. And so if you're somebody that's posted about Black Lives Matter, then make sure your actions line up with that in the voting booth and in in the way, places that you're donating your money and the businesses you're spending your money in, because those are the things that are really going to create change. It's not just going to be an Instagram post with a dark, a dark black square that says, and that's enough, that's all you have to do. Um, for blackout tuesday you have to do more you have to take you have to step into action it's no longer okay to just stand by neutrally so that's my challenge to the people listening to this podcast um no matter what color you are no matter what race you are no matter what sexual identity you are because it, it the reality is is even as a gay white male i understand pieces of what it is to be in a marginalized community but i also have privilege and i have to recognize that and i have to do the work to see that and it's not easy to see that. And it does bring up shame. It does bring up uncomfortable conversations. It does bring up places where like, ah, oh, I wasn't perfect. And I, I want to be perfect, but I wasn't. And so it's confu these are confusing conversations. They're difficult. They're emotionally late, like ridden conversations. But do that work and show up for these kinds of conversations. I think they're really important. I really appreciate you joining me um, and having a, a deeper conversation with me and being able to have a more hear your, hear more of your real story. Um, and if there are ways that I can continue to support you and continue to lift your voice up, I so want to keep doing that because I really value the man that you are and what you're bringing into the world. Oh, greatly appreciate it, man. And uh, it's been a pleasure working together with you on this. And uh, I'm sure we'll work together again real soon to uh, try to solve the all of the problems that will be American people. <laughs> you and I are taking the, on that mantle all by ourselves. <laughs> Solve all the, all the world's problems. Let's go. I love it. All right. <laughs> well, thanks, Gizmo, for joining me. All right, man. Have a great day.